Can't wait. Please do it into the microphone. Oh, I am. <laughs> right on. <Ew. laughs> oh, that was intense. You, listen, I'm not even mad. When I sneeze, it's very loud, and apparently it's very disturbing, and people get upset. By people, I mean Sarah Rogers. Guess what is done, Luke? Hmm. Guess what's done? Your future. Exodus 90. Oh, thank God. We can talk about normal things again. No, you are way more tolerable this time around. Topa Chico now has a hard seltzer, Luke. The Lord has smiled on you. Rejoice. The Lord is kind and merciful, slow to anger, rich in compassion. Who needs Latin when you have songs like this? (laughs) Who needs mystery when there's shallowness? Uh... What would you do if during the communal hymn they played a? It's easier to swallow. They played a very what? slow down version of "Shout to the Lord." Shout to the north and the no. South. Is that the shout same to the no, no, that's Lord, not the same all the earth, let us sing. Now hold hold your heart with one hand and put your hand up with the other one. Power and mm. majesty, mm, praise yes, to the King. Stretch it out. We just come before you, Father. We just here, Father. Father. We're here. We we're here. We, I'm over here. That's why I'm waving my hand. Father. I'll be honest. We have nowhere else to go. <laughs> it's a Friday night in Steubenville, and we're at a FOP. What's wrong with us? If we were inv- if we were invited to anything, we would clearly be there. I guess everyone simultaneously lost their phone number because no one would ever do that on purpose. Lord, yes, Lord, <laughs> yes, yes, Lord. <laughs> we must. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, we mock what gives us money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh. Man, I've got nothing, so you were going to have to really pull through it. Well, I th- one, I, just let me say, I think it was hilarious that I told Scott Hahn's assistant uh, that you don't know how to read. That made me happy. <laughs> <laughs> Luke, would you like, like one? <laughs> Silence. Silence. Luke doesn't know how to read. <laughs> <laughs> and then my response was, you're right. If I don't know how to read, you mean I'm about to attend a one of the premier Catholic universities in the world. Then yes, I sure don't know how to read. And we just laughed and laughed. Okay, can we talk about your leadership book? Yeah, yeah, because I'm tired, and so who knows what I'll say. Yeah, so I read your leadership book. I read your fancy damn leadership book. Just kidding. It was okay. Filled with plot. I mean, filled, it's okay. filled yes, with I live, laugh, love. Okay. Your, your it's, comment about live, laugh, love, I, perfect. Yeah. Head straight on. Nailed 100% it. right. But here's the thing. You're going to start to see holes in different kinds of leadership, and you're going to think back to the book, and then you're going to go, son of a bitch, because you're going to see that it's right. It's absolutely right. So I don't think I would disagree with any of the principles in the book. And I do think – so we're talking about the leadership challenge. It's funny because it belongs to that genre of book that says, everything we do is scientific. And then they don't really let you in on the process. (laughs) You know, it's like, we got a lot of internet data. And you're like, eh. My mom's Facebook page has a lot of internet data. But I'm just kidding. I actually really like it. And co- totally coincidentally, Luke, they their scientific measurement tool, blah, 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 we actually use their LPI, their Leadership Pulse Index, on our parish staff to judge and critique all of our leadership team. And uh, that was interesting. Woo! <laughs> that, that'll make you feel like a worthless piece yeah. of crap. Yeah, it did. <laughs> no, it you're did. not. Well, but that, and that's the thing that I think about that book that I that I, I think what it comes down to is one is really two things. One is that leadership, good leadership is intentional, and two, it is um, a skill set. It's a behavior that can absolutely be learned, but it's something that has to. And be And it's a perishable skill set. 
Meaning, yes. if you yes. don't repeatedly yes. practice it, uh, you will lose it. If you have uh, a difficult life situation going on and you're not thinking about these things, you will lose it. If mm-hmm. you don't intentionally, if you totally. don't have crap written down to remind you, you can lose it. Or yeah, or if you aren't, I'm thinking about it, and also, like there's a really actually it kind of reminds me of this. Um, one of a really great podcasts that surprised me how much I enjoyed it was an old episode of the Nerdist podcast. And by old, I mean before everything went horrible. With Eric Bana, I think he was a guy who yeah, played yeah. the Hulk. He's Australian. I'm sure that Matt Frad knows him. Um, <laughs> uh, so Eric Bana, that is his real name, used to be a stand-up, a pretty f- uh, famous one in Australia. Whoa. Yeah, I had no idea. I had no idea. And he came to America. He wanted to do um, serious acting. So like here, he's known as a serious actor. And he's like a stand-up a legend in Australia, I guess. And so he said he was um, teaching his – he has a kid who was, who was teaching how – to drive, and he said, "When you drive a car, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot like being a, a stand-up comic. Um, just because you were good at it the day before, it doesn't mean you'll be good at it tonight." You know, I'm teaching my son how to drive, and, I, and recently I said to him, um, "You, you think thing about driving, it's similar to stand-up comedy in that it doesn't matter how well you've driven every time before today. When you hop in that car, you can still have an accident. Yes. It means nothing. Whatever you've done in a car means nothing in the moment. Nothing at all." That's I don't care if you're a race true. car driver. I don't care if you've been driving for 50 years. You are still at the mercy of being hit by another vehicle or you hitting someone. And stand-ups are the same. It's like, they don't care how many gigs you've done. They don't care who you are. <laughs> this, you this played really well a couple nights ago. No, Doesn't matter. No, we're starting from scratch. <laughs> so this idea that you always have to be trying to be, to be good at this thing. And I was like, that's actually a really great analogy. Well, that's, that's, right. that's a really great point about when you drive because I think – um, people are terrible drivers, and it's not because they don't know how to know how to drive well. It's just we're not, they're not actively trying to drive well. And I think um, leadership is a lot like that. That just because you were um, good at it, you know, let's say even last week, you can't just put it on autopilot. There are things that you will, I think, might become, you know, almost like a, a muscle memory thing where it's like you do get pretty good at it. It does come a lot more natural and won't take as won't take as much effort. But if you stop doing that or stop trying to be better. Uh, it it will go away. For me, the I mean, if you wanted to boil down, what what are the five? I literally have them written on my board now. Uh, um, model be the, the way. change, dance like no one's watching, live, laugh, love, <laughs> coffee. <laughs> not <laughs> no talkie before my coffee. I've got a messy bun. Let's not start yet. <laughs> no, but what is it? Uh, so model the change. My favorite people call me mom. Why am I? Why am I always doing like, like a woman thing? I apologize to all of our women. To all of our to all of our women, I apologize <laughs> to all fifty one percent of you. What is it called? The five good numbers traits. Uh, so the yeah, or yeah, and I um I'm I am like knees deep into accounting stuff right now, so this isn't really on my mind. But uh, so there is model the way, um, inspire a shared vision or something like that, um. Ah, crap, I forget. I'm pulling them up. The five practices of exemplary leadership. Model the way. Inspire a shared vision. Challenge the process. Challenge the process, yeah. You experiment and take risks. You hear me? You're a leader. You experiment. Enable others to act. And then lastly is encourage the heart. No, that's only four. 
No, it's five. It's five. It's five. Encourage the heart, enables all. Like, yeah, and then, so there's like even the even like the, the names of those things. I'm like, oh, this is like cause, like challenge the process. Really doesn't doesn't unnecessarily mean challenge the process or like be be a rebel. It's 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 actually what we are talking about. Like be constantly engaged. Don't ever assume that you have this down. Yeah, you know, and be thinking. So it's not really like you're challenging it per se as much as you understanding that um, that leadership is really an organic thing that you're constantly having. To cultivate, I'm fascinated by by that yeah, idea, and so it's the idea that uh, the myth that leaders are born that way, right? Yes, and you're not exactly, born that way. Exactly. It is observable set of skills and abilities. I will mm-hmm. say though, mm-hmm. it helps to be an extrovert and be a leader. It helps. It's not. It's not de facto the same thing, but it helps. It, no, it does. And here's the, the interesting part: is that. So we as a society, for whatever in place, a higher value on extroverts because I think at times they actually can put people at ease and they feel just a little bit more accessible. But extroverts actually tend to be bad leaders because they're, they're just relying on pure personality. Not all, I think the book actually talked about it. And, and, and it's not like every extrovert is a bad leader because that was the case. We would be screwed and shouldn't be talking about this. But I think there is you a You can be very shallow because, as a leader because you make yes, it all about yeah. sociability, talkativeness, assertiveness, excitability. Like you're all there. Mm-hmm. And it's the loudness. Exactly. And, and everyone knows. Like exactly. any of you who have ever done youth ministry or parish event ministry where you have to put on an event that has a lot of moving parts – you know that the main reason why those events happen is not because of the loud, fat, funny guy in the front of the room. I might, I might be referencing myself. Oh, you look great. Go easy on yourself. Body positivity. I, Body positivity. <laughs> Fair enough. But it's because of the mild-mannered people in the background who are taking names and kicking butt, you know, and doing all that stuff. So, uh, but because yeah. I or someone like me gets all the attention because I'm up front, or someone like me is up front. Um, it becomes very easy to just focus on that, but that's not. Yeah. Well, you know, I've been, so I've been, and by I've been, I mean, last night I just, I was uh, told about and decided to listen to Patrick Lincioni's podcast with the table group. And I really like it. It's about, um, it's about 20 minutes long. It's very concise. I mean, I'm listening to it on, on, on a different speed, so I, I might be seeing what my speed is, but it's all about, I mean, if there's one thing that I, I've got out of that, and there's been a bunch, is you've got to be intentional about, about this stuff. And this is where I think a lot of um, pastoral formation actually comes into play. Like, that's what all this stuff is, right? It's not the key thing, but it's a part of this overall thing. Man, I haven't said the word pastoral formation in so long. I don't even remember what it means. Well, son, it's been too long. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Flashback to the past. Am I right? You are right. You are right, sir. Hey, guys, it is Luke here, and I'm here today to tell you once again about BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, BetterHelp. Is there something that is getting in your way with your own personal happiness or is preventing you from trying to achieve your goals? Listen, 2021 is a lot like 2020. Everyone's having a hard time right now, and that is okay. Help is out there. You can find help right now. With BetterHelp, they can actually get you a match with your own professional licensed therapist within um, 48 hours. They are not a crisis line. It is not a self-help thing. It is professional counseling done securely online. And we have the Catching Foxes unloaded listeners from all over the country, even Canada. Anyone, anywhere in the world can get help through BetterHelp, H-E-L-P.com. 
here is the deal. It wants you to start on living a happier life today. But I'm going to tell you that it actually really does work. I know some people who've gotten some great help, pun intended, from BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. This podcast is, is sponsored by BetterHelp, and Catching Foxes um, listeners get 10% off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. Catching Foxes listeners get 10% off, off their first month at BetterHelp.com slash Foxes. You understand my critique of yeah, it. I would agree with your critique of it. Um, sometimes I felt like the book, and by sometimes I mean almost every time, I felt like it was um, too shallow. Like it introduced a really good concept that I could get behind, and their explanation of it yeah, was good. Yeah, I agree. And then it was like, but Janet from South Dakota, blah, 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 but Indwar Pashami from yeah. India and his manufacturing firm. And they break through, and it's cool that they have tons of like examples. Mm hmm. But there's always this sense of, like, they're writing this book to be sold in an airport. And so there's these elements where, like, I would like to wrestle with the data a little bit more. Because I always feel like every time I hear an example that, quote, unquote, fits their five traits or abilities or skill sets. Yeah. Like, you feel yeah. like, yeah, maybe there's some more nuance that's just totally being blown out the door and we're not listening to. Well, and I would just like to, I, would, I mean, and I think that nuance is actually important because there are some things like, well, like when, you know, so they use the example of that one British company where they're like, we like to give to the back to the community just as much as we like to, like, you know, earn a profit. I'm like, okay, that, uh, that's great. But so how? Yeah. Give me an example of that. What does that actually look like? Yeah. And they don't. And, uh, yeah, and that's the thing that I, I think a lot of times when we talk about the I've actually been thinking about this in terms of like when we do certain saint quotes or quotes from from you know certain a certain um, popes and stuff because we all love a good quote and they're great they're not bad I've got a whole um, book just with like I'm filled with like Catholic um quotes and it's awesome and it's old and it's just it's awesome but a lot of context is needed to really understand those 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 things and I think it's very easy to then um, um bastardize them and just have them become a thing that they actually aren't really about or we don't understand it's like context is actually super important i was uh helping some people see why being on twitter can ruin their lives and i said uh you know like why are you going off on this person that you think is the devil and catholics everywhere should collectively hate this person and i said well you know why are you going off on it like this seems absurd then they're going like oh they do this and that and i said if i let's say it's three years from now and I search and I find your tweet and I don't know the context of the American church going through X, Y, and Z at this particular time, coming out of COVID, quarantine, blah, blah, blah. How am I going to read your isolated tweet? Because that's how I'm going to come across it, experience it. And I'm like, you are, you, are, you are making a cross for yourself that you need not be hung upon. Like you are literally trying to throw away your life and career. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, come on, man. Just step back and look at this. Look at this from a very sober perspective. Read this comment without the context, and it's awful, right? Uh, you can say that about so many things that I've said. So many on, on an account with your picture on it. Luke, this is an intervention. <laughs> no, I've, I've actually really backed, backed up I, I, a, a, a lot. Um, I feel like there is the beginning. Oh, we're in the. Well, actually, that's not true. I think we're all kind of aware. There is a reckoning going on with how we use all of this, all of this stuff. Although I think a lot of the reckoning has been our own personal use, as opposed to how we hold other people accountable. But there is a reckoning in terms of people being held accountable as well, which is people are digging up people's tweets from when they're in, you know, at, like adolescent, and 
unless you're saying like Hitler's great, kill everyone. Um, I'm just like maybe they're teenagers. Just maybe don't give teenagers Twitter. One, but two, like they're te- you can't. I don't know. Like think of the stupid stuff that you said when you. And I'm, I'm not trying to make an excuse for it. And again, there are levels. There is a difference between out, there is a difference between outright uh, um racist, uh, truly hateful and violent comments and um just stupid things that we say when yeah. we're young well okay so one day i saw and i mentioned this on the show my near my wife's family is the j it's like a y but jewish and um i saw these kids and it just totally threw me off and because uh, i saw these arms sticking out the window and these kids drove by the j which right in front of the j i think is a synagogue i'm not sure i think it is and they were sick hiling Holy shit. Right. So I gunned it and like honked and flipped them off like a gentleman. That's that's an appropriate response to idiot. Yeah. But they're a bunch of dumbass high school students who no one saw them. And when they found out that I saw them, they freaked out. Right. Like, yeah. Were they really Nazis? Probably not. Were they total dipshits who needed to be called out on the carpet? Probably so. You know, imagine if that moment was frozen in time. And, And that's one of the things that I really want people to understand is this is not about, like, I've been struggling with this for a while. It's not about your freedom of speech because you might feel like it's just me and my friends, but it's a publishing platform. And as a publishing platform, you are continuously sharing almost stream, if not totally, stream of consciousness level tweets that can be very damaging. And I know we've gone down that road, but I'm just trying to expand it outwards in my in my own life about how how there is a, a deep danger here um, with people who are just shooting from the hip and it, and it just scares my chubby little heart. And as a leader, right, I'm in charge of an organization that, you know, very, very easy, like because of these past elections, everyone is so charged that it's almost like we're looking to be offended all the time on both sides. And so it's like, I'm not sitting here telling you to be cowards and all this stuff, but we need to exercise. This is a, a brave new world. And we need to exercise a whole lot of prudence. And maybe take some Soma. I don't know. Maybe do an orgy-porgy or two. Uh, if only had the time. For for example, absolutely good. <laughs> Call them to task. Say, holy shit, this one. Very, very. Do you destroy, not destroy their life, but like what is the appropriate um, consequence for that? Is it just calling them out? Because I think there needs to be a little bit more than that. See, if I knew them, then the next, I think the next logical thing Fair. is to take it up the stack to their parents. Like. Hey, like, you know, as their parent, yeah. Yeah, know, that's actually your point. I watched your son and his bunch of meathead friends do sig hiling. Now, I don't I don't know what you're raising. The the best thing, the worst thing you could ever say to a parent is, "Now, I don't know how you're raising your kids." But in my house, right? Like you said you always start off with that, right? That'll instantly make parents defensive even if their kids are sig hiling at a synagogue. Uh well, well, how dare you tell me how to, my kids sig hiling? It's what we do in this home. We we enjoy calisthenics. <laughs> No, but, but the idea <laughs> we of it, enjoy Adolf Hess. What, yeah. sir? <laughs> what? No, but um, like honestly, like the more you know them, like they're just strangers, and I, I felt like I did what I could to assert my my protection of my Jewish brothers and sisters, but uh, <laughs> with my with my righteous gunning it in a suburban neighborhood. You know, and, and yeah, I just um, it just bums me out. It, no, it just it doesn't bum me out. It the thing that concerns me about woke culture. I told I talked about this before. I don't know why we're going down this road. Where there's no room for redemption, right? And there are some things that are like, I mean, I, I think there are some things worth 
quote unquote canceling a person over. Like I totally think that there's some horrific. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I just don't know how all this ends. That's that's what really concerns me. What type of culture are we cultivating where it's just if we don't, if the mob doesn't like you, you're gone. Yeah. No. I uh, just a quick update. So I got halfway through the book. So I finished the leadership book. Uh, I started um, Canterbury Tales. Holy crap! What a hilarious book. Truly mm-hmm. a great book, Luke. Thank you for recommending mm-hmm. that. You're welcome. Chaucer's uh, Jeffrey Geoffrey Chaucer's Canterbury Tales, and I'm still on the part where the the good Sir Knight is telling his tale in book two, and it is oh, hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I forgot is, about that. The two brothers or cousins or whatever who fall in love with the same woman and all this stuff. I love it. I love it. Uh, I also got um, Live Not by Lies by Rod Dreher, and I honestly I got halfway through it. I'm like, gosh, it's just so depressing. It's so depressing when you see how things are stacked up against what every almost every American believed 20 years ago. You know, like, well, okay, everything has shifted, and no one's paying attention, and it shifted in a big way. I would recommend that you listen to one of the most recent Catholic stuff episodes about that. Cool. It um it really challenged me, and so because I don't think I've, I'm. I'm I'm more of a person who's trying to tell people that hey this this is all over with let's stop trying trying to make it happen stop trying to make I'm a Christendom happen both the school and the political outlook um, <laughs> no but just, just kind of saying like listen our like it's God who's it's God who does all this stuff so we need like it's not the political in, in the political influence of. Christianity is not remotely as important as the work of God. Now, I'm not saying that it's not important, that stuff. Obviously, it is. The church says that it's part of evangelization, is, is engaging is engaging with the world and trying to strive for um, like truth and justice and all of that stuff in the American way. Um, actually, not the American way at all. That's, that's heresy. But, uh, <laughs> so would you say that we need to exercise a lot more caution when it comes to, like the Christian tendency is to desperately revive Christendom as opposed to just engaging with the here and now, maybe? Not the Christian um, tendency. I think the the boomer tendency. Uh, the wish to, um, we want, like, not, trust that God is God. Like, do we, like, do we actually have, like, because I, I think to me, a lot of times that stuff can feel a bit hopeless and a lot of, yeah. a lot of, a, a lot of, of despair and and ultimately like listen if god didn't god is permitting this to happen god is permitting our culture to go batshit crazy and so either we can freak out about how bad stuff is all, all all the time and you know like i'm gonna fall into despair or just accept the fact that it's happening and that god is still god and he's going to move and it's him that does the work not us okay so then with that then what do we do so, Good question. Because we say, I, Good question. I, obviously I agree with what you said. My co- perennial frustration with that comment is to say, like, you got to let God be God, let God be sovereign. But God has called certain people into politics, into community action, into... He calls, and he calls all of us to be active in the world. Right, right. Uh, obviously, Absolutely. but balanced Absolutely. with our own personal sanctity and all that stuff. But the idea is, then, if... If at what point am I not letting God be God if I am engaging in these things? I th- because for Rod Dreher, he would say this is his vocation or his yeah, his apostle. That's fair. You know? And I don't know. I listen, I'm I don't I'm every the stuff I have seen him say, I've always kind of been like, eh. 
there's certain things I'm like, oh, I get that. And there's other stuff where I'm like, I, I, I don't, so I don't know his stuff. So I, I can't comment. I, I don't know. I, don't, I just don't know. Um, but the stuff that I have heard that seems to be unlike what he is saying or what I've heard other, other people say, like it, there, there's, there's a, a desire to return to a thing that we've never actually experienced. I don't want to go back to the 1950s. I think pre- I think things were pretty shitty back then, yeah. both for the church and for the culture and the world as a whole. I think it's pretty messed up, a lot of the stuff that was going on then. You know who actually makes a really good point about that is Scott Hahn in his book, The First Society. I'm doing some studies on marriage and family right now, and so I was reading that book because it's like a good – he hits – he writes in a super accessible way, but his references and footnotes are usually pretty – like they'll, they'll take into a deep dive. And one of the comments, he said, the first chapter is called Not Nostalgia. And he said, you know, I think most people would peg 1957 in a lot of ways as, like, an ideal year, a golden age in America. And he's like, that's when Leave it to Beaver uh, debuted on CBS. And then he goes, but think about all this other stuff that was happening. Like, right down the street, people were having fire hoses turned on them uh, for being the wrong skin color in the wrong part of town, right? And he goes through a whole list of things, and I was like, hot damn, Scott Hahn. I didn't think you would you would bring this stuff up. Okay. <laughs> and he goes through. But it's really awesome because, you know, the word nostalgia meaning, like, that, that pain you feel when you ache to return home. And he said, it's funny because some people get locked in nostalgia for a past that was never their own, like stuff that predates us. And he's like, and that's not helpful because it's irrational. Like, it's irrational to have a longing for something you never participated in, in a lot of ways. But he said, but you can understand, like, the need for better times. But even the Middle Ages were not, he said, what traditionalist Catholics and um, secular anti-Christians would have you believe, the Middle Ages was a mess. <laughs> you know, like, in a, in a lot of real ways, the Middle Ages was a mess. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's a reason why all this stuff that happened, happened. You know, yeah. and so okay, so I think you bring up a really good question, and and I and I want to go go back to this and try to and try to unpack that that uh, that idea a bit. Okay, so a couple things. One is just that to not assume that because like it's great to look towards the past, especially to saints, especially to to the saints. But I don't know if I'd want to look back to political orders as things that we should aspire to be like possibly i think it's okay to be i mean i am fascinated by the Habsburg, and it breaks my heart that we're probably never going to have a funeral again the way that the Habsburgs oh, no funerals i'm used to be no it's kidding. incredible but it doesn't mean i want to go back to doing that just to do that i like the, the fact that the people who did it actually believed it yeah for those of you who don't know, the Habsburgs, uh, when the Austrian-Hungarian, uh, the Holy Roman Emperor, basically, um, the Archduke, when he would die, they would have the funeral mass in the cathedral, and then they would take his body in the coffin. There would be this formal procession, but they would stop off. It, it was like a stop along the journey, and they would go to this Franciscan church, and they would knock on the door, and the Franciscan door uh, porter would say, you know, who is it? In this, like, mean, gruff way, and then the royal herald would say, it is the body of the his royal apostolic majesty, blah, blah, blah. And they would spend, like, literally, like, five minutes straight going through all of his royal titles and ecclesiastical titles. And the, <laughs> the Franciscan porter would be like, uh, he's not welcome here, or something like that, or he's not known here. And then they do that three times at the third time. He says, uh, what, what is it, like, a humble beggar looking for rest? And then they, or he's like a he's a humble, almost a sinner, yeah, or or, or something. Yeah, like it's that. like only yeah. when the yeah. literally the most formerly the most powerful man 
in Europe, arguably, maybe French king, but uh, he had, you know, at, a, at their funeral, the last things anyone said about him publicly was a humble, poor, naked sinner or something like that. Yeah, something like and then that. they would yeah. open the door and bring the coffin in and bury him. I think so that's, that's so and, fascinating. And, I do too, and the last one to happen was the guy that we saw speak, which I feel so blessed that we were no, able to do that. We were in Austria. If you don't know everyone, we spent a semester out out in Europe. We may have talked about it. <laughs> uh, uh, we were able to see him speak. Otto von Habsburg. His uh, he was the son of the guy who was the emperor during the First um, World War. Well, the second, I believe he was the like. There was a guy who, who was in charge when it, when everything went down, and then he gets put in charge later on because he tries to end the war. Yeah. I believe, uh, and he was the last kind of crown um, prince because after that, um, freaking like freaking Woodrow Wilson just took that away from all of them, and that's awesome. Yep. Anywho, um, and I, so not wanting to do things like I, I think going why I bring why why I bring that up, doing things not because they're cool but because they actually have meaning. And we don't need to hold on to things if we don't understand them. I love the fact that there was a church at the center of every town. And that I hated the fact, like, when you stop and think about it, this is actually a thing I read from a almost secular author saying that one of, like, the, like one of the biggest almost signs of, the cha- of like, the almost changing culture was when the clocks um, went from the churches to inside of people's homes. Because you were only able to tell the time by the church, which was in, in, in the center of town, when they would unring the bells. And when time was basically, when people started to have um, a clock, it became more of a man-driven um, universe as opposed to one where even the church told you what time it was. I love that idea of the church being the thing that tells you what time it is. I think that's actually really cool, and it gets rid of a lot yeah. of the technique crap of how we uh, have how we approach everything. But do you know um, what I would do today, Luke? I would what? take all the hands off all the church clocks, and I would say, "You're on God's time now." <laughs> Live, laugh, love. Live, laugh. Love. In this house, we pray and laugh, um, and we challenge the process. <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> we empower others, but that's not going to happen, right? And being okay with the fact that that's not going to happen. So, then, like, what I want to see is how do we make God the center of our lives right now, and actually practice doing that. And I th- and I think it's I think it's fine to push for certain types of um, legislation that is a real advocate for um, the poor, for the oppressed, for what is right, for what is right and just. I think there is a line and it's hard to it's hard to define it until until you see it where it is that and then it's just oh you're just trying to hold on to this thing yeah you know you're trying to hold on to power like this obsession with power if it has anything to do with power as opposed to responsibility or authority that's for me and that's that's where i get a little bit like because it feels like when it's like power is not a christian thing it's not Power's different than authority. It's different than that. Now, God is all powerful and stuff, but I mean, I think the way we, I think the way that we talk about powerful, and that I don't think God is powerful in the sense like we view like like we view power as this kind of as like this thing that can make a thing happen for good or for ill. And I don't think that's what we mean by God when we say God is all powerful, right? I mean, it says that God is all powerful in the sense that He can do anything, but He doesn't use His power to dominate. It's a different kind of power. Yeah, domination versus, I mean, like for Christ, God is the God of the universe who has all power. All power in heaven and earth has been given to me, but at the same time, He uses it to free and to save and to serve. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. So when you look at that from that perspective, Christianity and power often, like, you know, power, like legit political power. 
it, it corrupts Christianity. Yeah, it might pure, it might make the government a little bit better, but it always corrupts Christianity. I mean, like the yeah. funny thing was, um, you know, they talk about like France was the first Christian nation, England was merry old England and had a a Christian aristocracy and all this stuff for centuries. But um, when you actually do historical studies into the feudalism of the time, most of the, especially the deeply rural lords, remained pagan until the 13 and 1400s. So for like a thousand years afterwards, many, like in France, like many a Gaul, right? They maintained their pagan ways in more or less in secret. Um, now who's laughing? Now who's <laughs> laughing? Damn masons, damn stonecutters. Um, it's a deep cut. But the uh, but, so it, it is fascinating that the honor and shame culture endured as long as it did um, in a lot of this in a lot of this stuff. And it's it's hard. To, uh, I guess that's the thing that I, I feel like sometimes what people want to do now is they want to create stuff to try to maintain that that power or a thing that would um, force people to do this as opposed to a thing that's actually best for the common good or the person like this whole like the like whole like georgia thing and i have not read nearly enough on this i don't, and I okay. don't know anything about what you're talking about what georgia thing there's the republican party out there just they like made a whole bunch of laws with all with like all with um all of the voting stuff because people think there was um, all this like i'm um, fraud and whatnot oh. i don't know i just i don't know enough i'm not gonna yeah. there's just one part of it that i don't like you can't give things like food and water to people who are in line. And now there might be more to that rule. I don't know. This is just the one thing that I've heard that I'm like, really? That's what we're doing now? Because we're afraid that's going to influence people? Like, like the human, like, what's good for the human being outweighs anything. So if people are thirsty because it's hot in Georgia, I don't see why it should be illegal to give them water while they're in line to vote yeah even if it says like for your candidate on the bottle i don't give a shit like i uh i do i i don't i don't like human beings need water then everyone should be there passing out water yeah like human beings need that do that's, we luke we're made of 60 percent water we could live off a, of some of that. i mean like i get it i get it. I, I get the i mean listen i i would be in like listen if i had to choose between no water and water with like political stuff on the bottles I'm probably going to choose water with stuff on the bottles because it's water. You know, like if if I had to choose. Now, if we want to say, hey, you know what? We're going to have a rule where it says you can't have any stuff on there. Fine. That's fine. I have no problem with that at all. But then to the just like outlaw that, I'm like, like that's to me, that's a power grab or that's or that's trying to use your power to prevent stuff from happening that you don't want. And you are using a human right to do that. And I know some people might, again, I don't know enough. So there, that, there, there, that could be the rule is that you can't pass out um, water that has a thing on it. I don't know. So I'm just going to shut up. But that's, that's just, I'm just. What about a water just... bottle that has catching foxes on it? I mean, of course. We're, I'm excited so about So what we need to do is label, label. Uh, what we need to do is lobby uh, Georgia legislature to only allow non-political, non-partisan Catholic podcasts to attach labels to water bottles. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure that's what Georgia would love, a Catholic podcast. Yeah. We hit the great it. state of Georgia and their key lime pipe. Mm, <laughs> Down mm, here mm. in Georgia, we drink our I've mint got, like, a fake fan sitting on the porch enjoying oh. that summer weather down here in Savannah. Oh, in sweet July. 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 <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm, mm. I want to really, I really want to, like... 
give closing argument or like it or interview a witness on a stand in the south in the summer <laughs> without air conditioning so where were you in the uh what is the seventh month called uh Ooh. Ooh. now i know that grandma ann makes a wonderful cherry pie every july 4th <laughs> but did the witness not say that it was a lemon meringue pie that she saw ladies and gentlemen of the jury Takes out a handkerchief, wipes off his brow, pats his brow, I th- <laughs> then wipes. I think it's clear. I'm in like a really, I'm like really fat, so I have like pants up high and suspended. I think we know why he <laughs> killed the the victim because Slick he had an hair. enlarged medulla oblongata. <laughs> <laughs> it is the evidence is clear. If the glove doesn't fit. You must acquit. <laughs> All right, we are way off topic here. Did you find some questions? I did, but first... I was trying to dig. First, hilariousness about the last episode. So I posted the last episode, the Lost Seek 21 episode. Um, I and again, we're good friends with Focus. Yeah. Everything's fine. We love them. Long, long time. Yeah. And then, uh, <laughs> and so we started talking, and it was so funny because people said... Gomer said it would be obvious that we would know why. It I wasn't. thought it was. It's like yeah. I don't, I don't know what it was. And then one was we corrupted uh, the youth that much. <laughs> Rebecca, I love her comment. This is an episode college folks need. Shame that they cut you. Uh, and then it's so funny. Is it bad that I'm not sure what exactly put this in the not allowed category for seek? Gomer's aside quote. And that's with one T was probably the sketchiest moment. <laughs> so I'm going to guess it was Luke. And I was like, what did I say? And then I scrolled down and John, <laughs> John had wrote, uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one who listened to the whole episode. And couldn't figure out what cross the line thoughts. One black Catholic podcast Two: Luke naked with pudding and Demi Lovato three oral sex and everything. But, and then in parentheses, put an extra T and I was like, Oh, because that's, I think you said a comment oral sex and everything, but, and I was like, and that's with one T. although jose did say that he's less offended by the oral sex comment than uh he is by ska and i think uh i think i could agree Uh, people just i i was i'm listening to buck the other night gosh and I'm like, this is legitimately good. I don't know no. what everyone's problem. No, is. there's some. Um, there's some stuff that's there's not as good. Nothing but some there. It's very. There is the nothing horns there. when they're rocking out, and then, then and then the horns are going. It's good. There is nothing there, Luke. Listen, listen. It's trash. Go and music. enjoy stain. Go and enjoy <laughs> your stain. The, uh, go and get your Ed Hardy jeans and your like um affliction um t-shirts, and go and enjoy your stain. And my tribal tattoo. And be like, I feel deeply. I do. I do, Luke. Alicia, <laughs> Alicia thinks that it's your joke about. Uh, denim skirts that you made mocking the potential audience that we might have with your <laughs> denim skirts <laughs> with your denim skirts all right so first question luke if we are going to do a catching foxes pilgrimage uh okay. where are we gonna go i think we answered this this one on the last one. i know i know but we have some particular addition so uh, okay. Jonathan. Jonathan says, Latvia, Gomming, Steubenville. What do you think? All a, the above. A walking tour of the Art Deco buildings in Cincinnati or a theology on tap with Papa Gomer? A drinking walking tour, mm. of course. I think uh, so. A, a lot of people. <laughs> you froze for a bit. Oh, oh sorry. A lot of people were all about the Premier League. Some people, I should say. But most people want to start small it's... and start with Steubenville. I actually think it'd be fun. City of Murals, Luke. City of, City of Murals. murals. Oh, man, City of Murals and Hot Kroger Lady. 
A diamond in the rough. A diamond, a in, diamond in the rough. <laughs> Seek the out, the diamond in the rough. Should we explain to the kids who Hot Croaker Lady is, or should we just, or should we just let it be? You should. No, you should. Okay, so Hot Croaker Lady was a, a woman who worked at Kroger, who my guess was probably mid to late 40s, probably like a 45 or a 46 at the time, perhaps a little bit, a little bit older, who was, to be honest, just super attractive. And so, and she would go, we saw her at the Catholic Church all the time. Whenever we go to, I think, like Holy Rosary or something, and we'd be like, uh, hot Kruger lady. And so, <laughs> one time we gave her some, we gave her some, some flowers. Adam did, right? And then another, uh, I'm not going to say who. <laughs> I was involved, but someone else went and did it. And then we also invited her to our house for uh, one of the uh, one of our parties and she said she almost came and i was like oh you don't understand how big of a deal it would have been if you had showed up yeah. hi uh so, you're not going to understand why this is so important to us but hi, we're gonna um, have a party you're catholic <laughs> that gets you in the door hi um hot Kroger lady i have a question for you <laughs> uh, my name is samantha uh, yeah, yeah, I'm not worried about that. Yeah, no, no, no. Oh, uh-oh. Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, Sarah writes on Patreon, love it, but I'm sorry. I have to take offense at Taylor Swift being called Stupid Pop. Mm. Did, I, did I say that? For the most part, she's a truly a songwriting genius. She's matured I, I, in a I, lot yes, of ways. she's a very good songwriter. She can come across as fake deep, but she's honestly writing about very strong feelings, which, as yes. Luke said, we can yeah. all relate to sometimes. But I don't think it's like... Um, okay, let me think of an let me think of like an example that I think would be kind of a good like it's not this though. Um, I mean, me with value is the only thing that's coming to mind of where it's just kind of like this is some really really deep stuff that's being said here. Um, How about stains outside? No, I think probably <laughs> run the jewels is a better example of that. They have some pretty good stuff that they say occasionally, like some actually really really interesting. Us. No, I no I I don't I don't think she's. I mean, I think. Sometimes it is just like it is dumb fun pop, but I think 1989 is an example of just like, and I, I would agree that she, she's a phenomenal songwriter, and she's a phenomenal on the songwriter. Like, I don't think that can even be debated. I, I think she's actually, I think now especially, she's pushing some really interesting boundaries, not in a bad way, but just in a she's challenging the process. Go. Oh, she's a leader. She's modeling the way. See? I don't know what that way is, but she's modeling the heck out. Well, of it. I think she does. She does this great job of just being able. She writes songs for whatever phase of life she's going through that yeah. somehow captures it perfectly. Yeah, like there's something to the nuance of um, Evermore and the forget the name of the other one that that I that I just adore. That is like, oh, that's falling in love and being brokenhearted when you're like 28. Yeah, Evermore. Is that the name of the boat that got stuck in the Suez Canal? I have no idea. It's ever something. Ever. Uh, is it Everside? No. It, who is the guy that had that rap song that was nope. dumb? I don't know. What are you talking about? Ever Given. No. The Ever no, Given. No, no. Um, the, um, shoot, yeah, come on. He had that song that was um, Whitey, Whitey Ford. I'm a Whitey Ford. Sings the blues. Um, sings the blues. Don't you know what it's like? Oh, yeah. What it's like. Everlast. Everlast. See? Oh, that song about abortion? See? Sorry, Luke. Yeah, there's one line in it that's about abortion. Uh, there's one stanza that's about abortion. Stanza. They call her a sinner and they call her a whore. They call her a sinner and they call her a killer and they call her a whore. And then the, every time I hear that song on the radio, I always change it. But whenever it gets to that part and I can't control the radio, I always think, yeah, that's the evangelical Protestants who hold the pictures of aborted babies. The Catholics are just holding a picture of Our Lady Guadalupe and praying for her. And then I'm like, who am I yelling at? Just talking <laughs> know, in my I head. Know. 
Um, here's a sign that you're going too like too far with all that um, culture war stuff, which I've done a lot. You just get angry in your mind while you're thinking about this stuff. That's always a sign of like, okay, I need to back off a little bit. <laughs> uh, Papa Luke's got to back off. I'm building arguments in my head. So I, I do have a problem with building arguments in my head because I, I listen to too many podcasts and I watch too many YouTube videos where people that I love say stupid things that I think they should know better. And so I have to mount an argument. Holy crap. This is the topic <laughs> I was trying to segue into and didn't know how to. Luke, can I, can I, can I, can I just draw some red threads here? Yes. Right, get it like beautiful mind, red threads going all around is my this where I zone out? my shed. Oh, 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 yes. This is exactly Perfect. where. Let's go get some alcohol and I'll be right back. <laughs> so, in my head, I have a, an ongoing debate with Joe Rogan. <laughs> that's, okay. a, that's healthy. <laughs> my thing is, uh, I've heard enough snippets of his spiritual life and religious life that I feel like I could begin a conversation, but it has to be a radically different conversation, okay? So he'll admit to people who are not Jordan Peterson that the stories in the Bible are deeply meaningful, true, and powerful. And then he'll have on Richard Dawkins and then say, affirm, like, the dumbest atheist arguments to ever have dumbed the dumb internet. Uh, And he'll be like, oh, that's a killer one. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? That is literally the dumbest sloganeering bullcrap and the, the the argument that he loved was one less God than you. That's the slogan. Like, oh, I, I, you know, you believe in a Greek pantheon of gods. Christians believe in just one God. They're atheists to Zeus and Hera. I just believe in one less God than you, which is a total crap argument. And to hear him say to, to Richard Dawkins, that was like, oh, man, that really got me. He's like, I know, right? Oh, John DeRosa, uh, dude that does the Classical Theism podcast, he took, I think it was 16 of these slogans that you'll hear, and he just kind of breaks down the argument, talks about them, and the name of the book is One Less God Than You, the first slogan. And I'm like, I, I bought that book just because I want to support John, number one, but number two, because it, that is the one that drives me insane. So ever since then, I keep this ongoing. And he was like baptized Catholic, raised Catholic, terrible family, abusive, you know, all the bad stuff. So I'm trying to think, what could be an an inroad into his life. You know what I mean? Do you ever think about that? Um, inroads into other people's lives that I don't know. No. Do I think about you what it would be like to hang and out and like, talk with them? Yes. You don't ever sit there and think like, if I had an hour with Taylor Swift in an apartment, or in an apartment, in a, <laughs> in a shady motel on the south side of town. I'd be like, Taylor, let's just pray for a bit and talk. You've got a lot of things going on. And then she's like, I can make the bad guys good for a weekend. And I'm like, let's do this. And I'm like, no. Well, there's a ring here. There's, there's, and I'll be like, not my zip code. Not my zip code. No. Um, no, no, no. So I think about stuff like that all the time. Like, if I ever sat down with, with uh, I wasn't Patrick Swayze. Why would that be? <laughs> oh, oh. R.I.P. Moment of silence. Roadhouse. If I ever sat down with some famous person, this is how I would construct a comment. Okay, so th- the conversation, yes. How I would get, to, I thought you meant like how I could, what would be my inroad to that? No. But the conversation, sure, of course. So I spent a lot of time this week <laughs> writing it down on whiteboards. I hate you. Oh, my gosh. I was like, you're either pausing because you're trying to, like, uh, think of a comeback or you have a thing to, sh- to reveal, and it was the latter. It was a thing to it. reveal. And now I plummeted in your eyes, Luke. My sweet oh my Luke, gosh, don't think less whiteboards. <laughs> in my kitchen, no doubt. They were all over oh, the... You're my kitchen. <laughs> I have problems. Daddy, I'd like that. No kids. Daddy's got to construct his argument for Joe Rogan. <laughs> That's exactly what it was. 
It's so <laughs> embarrassing to hear you say it out loud and for me to record it for an audience of eight to 10,000 a week. Um, Within the first seven days <laughs> and then 15 to 20 uh, after 90. Anyway, just want to clarify yes, for everyone. Yes. So if more people could start to make it part of the routine again, we would appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> we understand the last year has been tough. <laughs> yeah. A five-year-old or a five-year-old, a fifth grader wants to meet with me. And his grandmother emailed me saying, you're the only person I feel like could answer this question at our parish. We've talked to two nuns, two priests, a theolo- uh, you know, his religion teacher, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yeah, sure, I'll meet with them. I only got 30 minutes on Sunday, but I'd be happy to meet with them. Uh, what's the question? And she said, what is the relationship with dinosaurs and the Bible? How come they're not explicitly mentioned in the Bible? And why don't, um, like, how do we make sense of all this stuff? If the earth is only 6,000 years old, right? So what, what would you say in that scenario? Ooh, that's good. I would say the Bible isn't necessarily a history of earth. It's the history of salvation. And so it's, a, it's this ongoing story of who man, of who God is and who, and, who, and who man is. And it's not that oh, dinosaurs are not a part of that story because there are beings that were existed, but there have been billions of things that, you know, exist, and there are billions of things that probably exist that we don't, you know, even know about. Just because they're not in here doesn't mean that they are not, not important. But what's in here, this is the story about God and man. That's off the top of my head at 10.30 after studying, you know, accounting. Yeah, no, it's great. Is that, is, is that dumb? No, I don't think that's dumb. It's just, hey, it's dumb. It hurt my feelings. <laughs> you're an idiot. Thank God you're out of parish ministry. Um, the Just kidding. The So the, the idea that I came across with, okay, here's the red thread. Red thread number one. The earth has heavy elements that we wouldn't have if we only had a, if we only had one sun. Did you know that the Earth has had two suns? I shouldn't say the Earth has had two suns. Our solar neighborhood has only has had two suns. The first one blew up. The second one reboots the sun that we now know and love. I think I did know that. And it grabbed the elements from a previous supernova and drug it into itself, which is why we have heavy elements like plutonium and uranium and all that stuff. That wouldn't exist in a single Wait, sun solar hold on a second. system. You build a time machine. Wait. Ah, damn it, I can't forget the plutonium lines. Keep going. <laughs> Tom Wilson, I'm sorry that I never I never emailed you back after you said you got busy in the touchback. Touch touchback. Touch, get in touch later on. I never got in touch later on. Sorry, Biff. I am not uh, Biff. Um anyway, could you imagine that? Everywhere you go, yeah. everyone's wanting to bring that up, yeah. which is why I want him in Upshot. <laughs> this story's amazing. It okay, is. Sorry. It is. It is. Go on, go on. Uh so why why dinosaurs, blah blah blah, like that whole conversation. Then Next red thread is a conversation. This is the beautiful ADHD mind, right? Not the schizophrenic mind, but the ADHD mind. The next thread is Matt Frad's homeboy, Father um, Gregory Pine, had a debate within uh, a, a really great debate with an atheist um, philosopher. And one of the lines that he said was suffering against God's existence, right? So standard, why is evil happening if God's all good? But he did it in a, in a way that I had never heard, which is, so they start talking about suffering, and Gregory Pine says, well, God can bring about a greater good. And he said, what if there was a scenario where God couldn't bring about a greater good? And Father Gregory said, well, what's that? And he said, well, just imagine, like, a deer caught in the middle of a forest fire. It suffers incredibly intense, you know, flames, all this stuff. It burns to death, and then it dies. It doesn't become more noble for having suffered like humans can. All that's gone. It's just pure gratuitous suffering. 
And I don't think Father Gregory Pine had an awesome answer to that specific question because it's one that I, I, I wouldn't have known how to answer. And so I start thinking of all this stuff. And uh, there's this priest named Father Nicanor, and he's this. Wait, wait, wait. What was um, Father um, Gregory Pine's answer? I can't remember off the okay. top of my yeah, head. Fine. Right, but go, I did go. feel like he didn't do that question justice. It's not that it was a bad answer because Father Gregory Pine is insanely intelligent. And I was like, I think, like, so this is one of the things. Like, I think of answers when I hear these things. My brain yeah, just yeah. spools up, you know, and I'm getting a shower, and I'm like, what if I was Father Gregory Pine? I would have said, <laughs> because this is, the, this is the respect. I wish people could see you right now. <laughs> no, I'm pretending like I'm cleaning my armpits right now. I'd be like, yeah, I would. I, now I look like a monkey. Uh, I, would, uh, I would have said that, uh, you know, that animal dying is the, is the terrible compliment that God pays to causality. Right, like a fire was started, wood is burning, the animal dies. Like there's no if, and, or buts about it. That's the terrible compliment that God pays to causality. So there were like these threads that were going through my head, and someone asked Father Nicanor why uh, why did dinosaurs have to be extinct? And Father Nicanor, who is a Thomist and a, a brilliant um, scientist, he said because humans and dinosaurs cannot live at the same time. And those types of animals can only exist in a certain type of atmosphere that would not have led to human flourishing. So he said, I don't think of it as a knock against God, like the extinction level event of dinosaurs. He's like, they lived for millions of years, multiple periods of all these different types. And he said, the cool thing is, if God loves diversity of life, there is certain types of life that cannot coexist with others, even in the same planet. And God gave them millions of years to exist. And then they went away, and the planet radically changed during that time, and now it became possible for humans to exist on this planet. And types of animals like dinosaurs no longer exist, right? And I thought that was so fascinating. It actually is, yeah. Right? Yeah. And so here's the last thread. So that's another red thread. And my final thread is Jordan Peterson, a certain psychologist who is controversial, uh, Jordan Peterson, um, he talks about the hero myth, right? So the hero myth, right? The, there's the knower, the known, and the unknown. The hero is the one who is the knower who goes out into the unknown, faces all sorts of suffering in order to bring home boons for their companions, right? So um, Jesus, the death, the resurrection, right? Like all of these different things. And it, it is literally, and I, I remember listening to Ron Howard say, there are just a few basic stories in, 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 that you can tell well in humanity, and he goes, or some say only one. They say there are only seven stories. I think there might only be one story. One story. I would like to know more about that. Well, it was the hero's story, right? The hero's tale, the hero's quest, whatever. And that's Luke Skywalker, blah, blah, blah. But what if, what if, okay, what if? Here's my Joe Rogan multi-combinational thread. We're talking like six, seven threads here. We live in a neighborhood of our galaxy that for us to have things like nuclear power and all sorts of different stuff, we need to wa- we needed to have the extinction and supernova of at least one other star in our neighborhood for us to have these these heavy metals, right? We need there to be an entire world for like half a billion years of exotic animal life to exist for us to have things like fossil fuel, right? The bioorganic matter that broke down bioorganic is that is that a is that just redundant? Bio dino DNA. DNA. So we need all that stuff. So the, the idea code. So my start, I was starting to think about like why haven't any other animals evolved to build culture? Right? Like gorillas, you can teach them sign language and they cannot pass that on to their kids. So they cannot have culture. And I mentioned this a while ago, but they cannot have culture. 
Because culture involves, and this is what I think is so fascinating, shared memory. Memory that can be passed down. And I remember the story of teaching chimpanzees how to take a bunch of rings from one stick and put it on top of another stick. And the researchers taught him exactly what to do, and they timed it. But it was deliberately a clumsy way of doing it. And the chimpanzees, after like their 15th attempt, figured out a better way to do it. Human baby or human kids that were like five years old never figured out a better way. They just imitated what their parents showed them what to do. And they just did that over and over and over and over and over again. And they got it right every time, but it was an inefficient way. And they said, so one person said, this proves that children are worth less because they have less of an intellectual capacity than chimpanzees. Peter Singer over at Princeton, he advocates killing children up to two or three years old because their intelligence is less than that of dogs. And he's a species, an anti-speciesist, which you should look at people's intellectual capacity, not their species in order to see whether they're worthy of life. So he advocates for infanticide and all that stuff. He's a sick bastard. But anyway. The way human beings learn is different than the way our closest genetic relatives learn. We learn through, principally through imitation and play. Like all mammals play. There's literally a circuit in their brain that helps them play. Rats laugh. They laugh at ultrasonic frequencies. We don't know that they do, but if you tickle them with a pencil eraser, rats will literally laugh. Okay, so that's fascinating that there are play circuitries in mammals' brains that engages interaction. But with humans, play is principally about imitation. So how do we learn? We imitate mom and dad. Mom smiles at us at the breast. Baby smiles back. Baby learns to, the, that feels good. Like all of these things, there's genetic memory. We are beings three billion years in the making. Here's where all the threads come in for me. What if... What if, okay, you ready for this? This is Michael Gormley takes a giant leap of irrationality. What if the, 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 the ancestral link, right, with us and monkeys, there was a, obviously, I believe, divinely intended mutation that was passed on. We're X-Men? That, yeah, that gave them the powers to manipulate weather. Makes no sense. To fly. <laughs> makes no sense. Shoot laser beams out of their eyes while their eyes don't get dissolved. Makes no sense. Teleport. Sure, whatever. Blue skin, I'll believe that. Teleporting? I don't get it. Uh, Suck the power of others. <laughs> oh, okay, you're talking about Rogue. Um, they're talking about last night. Uh, all these different things. All these different things. So long, Catholic sponsorships. <laughs> <laughs> but the idea of this is, what if there was an evolution in, in a monkey brain? It was passed on to its kids. Was the ability, was the mental ability to imitate? And the notion, mm-hmm. at, what if the origin story of human rationality is the hero myth of, like, monkey leaves the safety of the tree and goes out into the dangerous woods in order to get more fruit? And, monk, yeah. and then kids see that, and monkey yeah. returns, people are happy, but it's not just memory, it becomes imitation. And then you begin to do this, and you realize the monkeys that are the most curious— that is, they long to see beyond the borders of what's known. And the monkeys that are the most courageous, they long to go where no one else has gone before, coalesce in the hero myth. Like, I, we need to know what's out there in the great darkness. We need to confront the smells of the snake and the hawk and the cat like, and just fight it and go out and all this stuff. What if that is the origin story of human intellect? And the last red thread mm-hmm. is I read the stupid-ass science fiction book that I absolutely hate. I didn't mean to, but I stumbled onto horror science fiction, and some of the images are baked in my brain. I didn't know it was a horror subcategory. But one of the things was there's all these species, and they're going to go fight this evil guy, and they're all joining. And some of these species evolved from light, 
so they're beings of light. And other evolved from fish, so they're fish beings. Their spaceships are filled with water. And I thought, oh, that's cool. Like, what would it take for other species to attain rationality? And would it look different on different planets? And then I thought, what if they had different myths that led them to rationality? So you have the human culture, which is a warrior spirit because we embody mm-hmm. the hero myth. But what if there are other myths? And then I, that's what got me thinking. What if there can't be other myths than the essential myth of the one who loves the people he's with must leave them and risk certain death in order to save them? The King Beetle. On the Coconut Estate. Yeah. Our beloved's not dead. His highness instead has been utterly changed oh, into gosh. fire. I cry every time I hear that song. I, I know. I, I just I hear that. That's like, to me... It's not pop, but that's what I mean by, like, this is just different than, yeah. I say you're too late, <laughs> which is still, like, fun. Right. But there's just this thing where it's, like, the angel of death came to David. Luke, I stop it. The red threads. Tell me I'm oh, an sorry. idiot. <laughs> sorry. No, no. I, I, hmm. I'm going to add one thing to that. Okay. I, I think. Yeah, I think you need to take more naps. No, 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 no. This is actually kind of interesting. Um, it's just, like, a, as a, as a, um, a thought experiment. I- imitation can only go so far, but then that I this is so interesting. The idea of I'm a faking it until you make it. Yeah, I think when you get to that point of when you start to imitate others and you try to do it you, yourself, you're not just imitating them, but you have some type of shared value, which I think is kind of I, I agree with you about uh, culture being you you know. Have a shared you um, have a shared um, memory, but I would also add there's like a shared value there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of what's important, and that, and that kind of like that. This this could be splitting hairs here, but when you so like what is interesting is not just the fact that like you go that you know chimp A goes he conquers he comes back. I want to do that, but then what happens when you learn the benefit? Of conquering, so like not only is it interesting that he went and he did that, or like sh- or that she went out and did that, but that by doing so, I start to see, oh, this is good. There's like there's like a you know, so it's it's kind of like, um, uh, okay, so like my dog likes to go into the bed right under our entertainment center, which is old. On the we have a, like on the mid-century modern piece that our dog has a bed that's kind of like. Goes underneath it, and like she likes going, uh, likes going underneath there. That could be a thing that is learned, but what happens when it becomes a thing that she then starts to do because it feels good? And not only have I learned how to do this, but I learn why this, why we do this, and then I pass that down. Like when you're able to unconsciously say, "This is good because of this." Yeah. Like, why do we go to mass? It's um, when you're a kid, it's just a thing that you have to do. Over time, you see, oh, there's value to this. There's This is an important thing. There are people who actually wish they could go back, but for some reason, they can't. That's one of the most brilliant parts of the of of, Spar- of Spotlight is when is when Mark Ruffalo, his character says, you know, as like a teen, I start I stopped going and stop stop like believing because of all the normal. He and he he like kind of acknowledges like all of the stupid shit you do when you're young. That's how he puts it. That it was his immaturity that pulled him out of the church, but he always thought he would go back mm. because there's this shared memory of like the value of this. Like I see there is my Catholic um, grandma who went, which is another um, character in Spotlight. She's a good person. This was a, there's comfort there. There's something about that experience that helps form shape your outlook on 
to the world. I think I think that's interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't. Sorry about that. I didn't realize that there is actually a whole. Now I feel like an idiot. This is the part where I I start to think things, and I'm sure I encountered this. So the question is, so I just. This is apparently a thing. I I thought I invented it. <laughs> On the you relationship. Thought you okay, so here's you what thought I, you had your Alice and your McIntyre uh, uh, moment where you were not going to have a whole school of thought that would be devoted to you? <laughs> the Gormley school of thought. I posit that the Gormley red thread theory on human cognition. <laughs> Here's the carry on a theorem of the Gormley school of thought. <laughs> <laughs> so listen to this from a paper uh, in Cornell. What came first, language or culture? On the one hand, language seems to be woven into the very fabric of every human culture, and to such an extent that it is hard to imagine what human culture would be like without language. Indeed, most myths about the origin of humanity seem to suggest that humans had language from the very beginning. On the other hand, what would humans have for language if they didn't have something to talk about? Living in groups governed by highly intricate... <laughs> Social interactions would seem to provide an endless amount of possible discussion. So essentially this thing is saying there needs to be a culture-first scenario, which is my – in which mimesis or mimetic adaption, that's the adaption of miming or imitating. Yeah. yeah. I did not realize – I've heard of uh, mimesis before, but I had no idea it was already a common thing on – but see, that's, that's what I feel like. So Father Nicanor talks about at one point Adam evolved, whoever we call Adam – was a humanoid that evolved with a specific mutation that allowed for abstraction to form language. And he said, I think that's beautiful. He said that was an interview with Matt Fratt. And I've since reached out to Father Nicanor, and we've had a handful of exchanges via email. And I think the world of him. Um, but he just said this comment, which was, um, you know, it's, it's important that we say in the beginning was the word. And, like, that God creates by the power of his word. Like, that's at the origin of rationality. You cannot have an interior word if you don't have a language. Right, that's the Helen Keller thing. She had no way to concept sign to connect. Excuse me, signs and things until water was poured over her hand and someone signed water into her hand. Yeah, that was the first time she had an, a, a solid idea in her head. And then you know, obviously, she's a genius level intellect, but um, she has the experience first. And yeah, yeah, but it, that's the idea. And so, like, the whole idea of myth is myth is understanding in action. It's always in action. And symbolism is meant to convey cognition and action. They're always symbols are always performative until now when we don't understand jack shit about them. And so the idea of like imitate the imitatio Christi, the second best selling book of all time, how to imitate Jesus, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Like this whole notion of I see what you do, I do what you do to the best of my ability, I fail over and over again, but then I arrive when I finally get it. Like, uh, did you ever do squats when you were into weightlifting? Oh, yeah. I used to be very, yeah, that's one of the things that it kills me that I can't do anymore. Anywho. Re- squats are very intricate in that they're mm-hmm. very easy. Very, very much so. It's very easy to seriously mess up a squat. Yes. And one of the things that a lot of CrossFitters will do in, their, in the competition space is they, as they're pulling up on the weight, they arch their back like a kitty cat. Like a scared mm-hmm. little kitty cat, and they arch mm-hmm. their back, and their L four and L five vertebrae are just screaming out for mercy. But the it's funny, like how much of something like proficiency at weightlifting involves intentionality and mimesis, imitation, and we just have mm-hmm. to do the imitation. And it's more than just muscle memory; it's a way of learning. Like even think about that word muscle memory; it's a way of learning that gets into our muscles. It is physical. 
And human cognition is inherently physical. That's the whole point of the book, The World Beyond Your Mind, is we're not just observing an object. We have two eyes that move constantly affixed to a head that is moving on a neck that moves on shoulders and a torso that moves. So even when I'm looking at a computer, I'm still I'm moving. I'm observing it from multiple angles. I understand that the back is not being observed, but my mind understands the back of my laptop, right? Like, and this is all because I've seen the back and I've moved around it and my cognition. But computer science, like computers are not learning. So they began slapping cameras onto mobile platforms and their ability to learn increases because it's about interacting with the world. And I find that crap. You don't find it fascinating, but I find it so no, fascinating. No, 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 I, I do. I, I, this is what I think this is the same reason why places lo- why places like Over the Rhine out in Cincinnati are extremely popular because it's the experience of going there. You have these gorgeous um, buildings from one of the from, I believe, one of the heights of architecture, which is a style that I'm drawing a blank on the name. But I did a whole study on it with Aaron like two weeks ago, and I forget what it is. It's the one right before Art Deco. Art Deco is like it's like a not a rejection, but like it's. It, it is moving on from that where they don't want so much of the intricacies that you would have in these. I forget what it's called, but you ha- you know you like have these buildings where even the corners on the top of it have just these gorgeous like designs that you can barely see, but you know it looks cool and it forms this image of like a building that is that is and I that is just incredible and that's why people go down there. Yes, the bars and all that stuff and all those things are that certainly does help, but like th- the root of it is. There, there's another part of Cincinnati that has like a whole bunch of bars, and it's just kind of a dumb um, corporate area over, like, over on the banks by where the Reds play. It's very, very dumb. But where did I take you when you first came here? Over the Rhine, yeah. because there's nothing quite like over the Rhine. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's. I mean, there are things that are pretty um, close to it, but it's, you know, kind of unique in, in terms of the German and, and Italian architecture of that time period that is there, and it's the experience. Of like walking on those like old streets, being around these old buildings in in a way that is designed to feel incredible. Like just the experience of being there is an is an incredible thing. And this is why I think all the pilgrimages are so good. And this is why a lot of the missionary um, a discipleship stuff that we try how we form people doesn't work because it puts what you're saying. You're putting the language first ahead of the experience, ahead of like ahead of the culture. And so it never goes anywhere because we approach it from this like techne attitude, which is like here's here are all the objectives you you know have to learn, do it, and then you're a missionary, a disciple, right? Or you have you know had or have, um, ha, um, had a conversion. And if you are right, that goes against what the experience of the human person is, or how we grew and how we evolved, which is these, ex- which is we have these experiences that we are a part of, that we have a model to us. And I'm sure people then go out with this ape and they, oh, the, the, the other apes go out over oh, the first ape and he, and he or she says, here's the experience. They like draw them into the experience. So they see what it's like to, you know, be in danger and how to perhaps not get eaten by the tiger or something. Or they see a person who, you know, goes out of line and does get eaten. And, like, then they learn from from that. It's the experience that counts, which is ultimately why I think people like Benedict talk so much about the importance of actual encounter. Like, this is why um, Dawkins will never get it right. And why he probably won't ever be able to fully understand until he has, a, like, a basically a Damascus a Damascan experience because it's so like you're not getting into the world beyond your head 
because the world beyond your head implies things that you possibly cannot understand until you experience it. Which is why, which is why Pope Saint Paul VI, who is a genius, and we need to pay, we need to pay, we need to pay attention to his stuff, says modern man pays attention to the witnesses because it's only through an experience that you can see a witness. That's the loop part of this. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, because. I'm not trying to say that, like, I'm talking all that stuff. Like, it's the experience of, like, your talks are powerful if you have the witness to go along with it. Yeah. You know, and that people that they can see that and that they and that they hear that and that they are, you know, it's... it's, it's oh, yeah, I wasn't thinking that. that. I like, wasn't thinking that. You've got to be able to learn how to talk. Yeah. But that what comes first is the... Yeah, I was thinking along the lines of, like, so what you're talking about is the way we communicate, not just an experience that we've had, which is important. But communicating the meaning of that experience. And what you no. described about Richard sorry, Dawkins is what Jordan Peterson describes after the fact of his uh, – he had a couple debates, I think. Maybe they weren't debates. Discussions with Sam Harris, the other of the four horsemen of the apocalypse, Dawkins and Harris and Hitchens and the other guy that no one remembers. Um, but he keeps saying – he's like, this is why they're wrong. The atheists are wrong in this understanding. They're not giving – they're just like, oh, that's a silly book. And it's like, it's not a silly book. But you're just reading words the way literal history is read. you got to read it symbolically. They're not just telling yeah. a story. or They mm-hmm. are telling a story, but they're communicating an understanding of the universe, universe. and of the humanity yes, exactly. within them and of the God that engaged them. Like, this matters. And so, for instance, when you worship a God who – created not by murdering other deities because they don't exist but by sheer speaking his word and it immediately happens so his word is powerful his word is deed and his word is so powerful and so 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 good that it immediately creates that the next sentence is in the past tense there was light and it was good and the idea of the word that is power and it is creative is good like, and that's the God you worship. You don't think that affects your culture for the better? That the union of word and deed and goodness is what you're striving for as the highest ideal? Oh, you think it's a stupid story because they don't mention evolution in the creation of the earth. Well, I think the story of evolution is stupid because it doesn't tell you how to be a human being. It just tells you what we're composed of. And how is that helpful when I'm trying to figure out how to pay my taxes and who to vote for and who to love and how do I build a happy marriage and how do I raise my kids? Like the idea is there's a deeper question called meaning. That's what myth tries to answer. It uses symbolic language and it's communicating action, but myth is trying to do that. And it's funny and fascinating to me that like like many scientists who are hardcore rationalists, they're, they're like, yeah, there are certain things that human beings are born innate with, like the ability to know language. Did you know every baby that is born, or babies that are born? We talked about this. Oh, fuck. <laughs> but I just, um, I mean, but just think about what they, it. they can yeah, make no. any noise. Yeah, yes. But yeah, think yeah. about what that means for the human, for human evolution. Like, our babies are born with the ability to say anything to mimic anything but then we only mimic the things our parents say a baby born in america today if he's raised by chinese parents can speak chinese perfectly but if he's raised by english-speaking american parents you know know, whatever then he'll he he will lose that ability after a couple of months 
Like, what does that say about the ability of the human mind and its innate connection to language? That's what I found so fascinating. And that's what I wanted to say to Joe Rogan. Look at these threads, motherfucker. Look at these threads. <laughs> Can I bring up t- two thoughts really quick oh, that yeah. I think tie tie into this one i don't remember if i dream this i don't remember if i heard this on a podcast or in a conversation or what but i'm fascinated by this idea and this person said it may have been a podcast adam sandler's films actually carry are going to are starting to outlast will ferrell's movies oh yeah because adam sandler's films have heart yeah because when you look at his stories even the dumb ones even the beginning even happy gilmore or Billy Madison, dumb as they are, have a story of, like, growing up, mm-hmm. being a mature adult. Ha- um, Happy Gilmore, I'm learning to control your anger for the near to, to control your demons or try to, like, beat your demons for the sake of someone that you love. Um, those are myths. Those are stories the hero of, like, how to be a better – yes, yeah. And I think that's <laughs> – and, and granted, it is um, funny, too, if you're of a certain age. If you were born of a certain time period, they will never stop being hilarious. <laughs> but it's why they probably will, like, anchor man. I don't think in 20 years people Everly's age will be quoting Anchorman. I wouldn't be surprised if somehow they start quoting Adam Sandler films because there's something about them that just kind of grabs you and pulls you in. Just like why films lo- like It's a Wonderful Life – or other older films that I'm drawing a total blank on right now that have a good that have a good myth, have a good story that you're able to yeah. and have an interesting and you know there are other films that have good myths and stories that are dumb, but they're just they're you know they um, nail the other parts down. Um, two, I think one of the biggest arguments for God and why would I believe this whole I really I'm like this idea over like the uh, uh, meaning and being these things that at first are untangible until you go out there and you experience and you see it. The, one of the biggest arguments for God, I think, would be, like, come to an AMDG wedding and hang out with us the entire week. Like, hang out with us, like, while while we're there, while we are around each other, while we're talking with a person who is getting married, while we're, do, you know, everything. The good, the bad, and the ugly, at, like, at, at, um, actually. Um, and tell me after that that you're not tempted to think that God is real. <laughs> because, like, the thing that I, I was complimented so much I mean, some people almost said it to me in tears. The adults were just like, you have such a good group of friends. Mm-hmm. Like, what a great community. Like, they didn't realize how good of a community, like, we had. Yeah. Or have. Have is a better word. And I think that you can't explain. I mean, like, you, you can't explain it, but it doesn't make sense until you actually experience it and you see it. Yeah. Some things can only be experienced. You can't explain it. And when you try to explain it, when you try to explain it, uh... The only way you really can is by telling stories of what happened. Yeah, 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 and that's yeah. a witness. And, yeah, and it's not that. Yeah, it's, and, and it's um, and it's not that there's not power in those stories. But if you if you only ever have the stories, like try to imagine that if you watched Star Wars, I can honestly think that the people probably put more value on on those films are the ones who at times when... I mean, I have thought this on myself when I've been critical of myself. I've thought of the... Especially when I was in high school and when I was in college, I, th- I thought of like... I thought of Uncle Yoda when he schools Luke and he says, your head is always in, in the stars, not on where you were or what you were doing. I mean, I've thought of that in terms of trying to correct my own, my own behavior. That's the power of Star Wars. Now, it's a dumb example. And I get it. There are more powerful and... Calm and calm and complex things, but it is a truth. You know, try or do. Uh, sorry, do or do not. There is no try. Just like 
like do it, you know, and you do might it. fail, but at least you're doing something as opposed to, you know, half-assing it. Yeah. So I says to Joe Rogan, I says, <laughs> see, Joey, Joey, two sons later, two whole dominant species over the universe, over the earth later, all of this coalesce into this singular moment. I'm sitting here smoking weed with you, Joe Rogan, to ask you this. Will you accept Jesus Christ in the art as your Lord and Savior? <laughs> and before you say no, let me remind you, if you confess with your lips and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you will be saved. All right. I think I'm done here. <laughs>